Good evening, everyone. I'm Pastor Skip, if you haven't met me, and probably just Skip if you have. Um, <laughs> kidding. Um, so we prayed, we've sung, we're ready to go, but I'm going to pray uh, again just to Lord. Um, I do pray you would illuminate your word here tonight. God, we know that your, your word is living and breathing and active and has life in it, and so we pray that it would come and do that. That as it goes forth tonight, we look into it, we study it, and we ponder it, that you would speak into our hearts and we would have ears to hear what the Spirit is saying, Lord, that we would be able to hear a word for ourselves from, we often say here at Cornerstone, a word from the word. So I pray there would be a word for everyone, an individual word for everyone tonight from the word and that it would penetrate our hearts and really bring life into our, our walk, our, our daily existence of following you and living a life that is pleasing to you and accomplishes those things which you have set for us to do. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Okay. Philippians. So, I'm going to do a couple of things here before we get going. A couple of... Uh, uh, things that I do every Bible study, um, and that is, uh, one, people always ask me as a pastor, what's the best Bible, okay? And there aren't really bad Bibles, but we use the New King James Version here um, for a couple of reasons. One of them selfish, the, the fact that most of the people here who memorized stuff in the old King James didn't want to have to re-memorize it in a different version. The new King James was close enough to the old King James that they could they they uh, didn't have to re-memorize things. So, so we picked the new King James. There's plenty of good versions out there. Uh, the new international version is kind of a familiar favorite, which is a good Bible. But I think the new King James is better. Personal opinion. So. Um, actually, the NIV is a dynamic equivalent, so it's not exactly true um, to the text all the time. They will, if something's not making sense, they'll interpret it and put in what they want. So the, the New King James tries to stay strictly word for word, which is impossible when you're translating Greek to English or Hebrew to English, but they do the best they can. So sometimes that makes the reading a little rough but it's probably a better Bible to study because it's easier to find the root words. Um, and then we also use a New Living Translation, which is a paraphrased Bible, which is the exact opposite approach. It just takes um, what the original said and it puts it in very contemporary modern language that's easy to understand and reads more like a story. So if you want to read the Bible, just especially like Older Testament stories that are going to read like a story, a New Living Translation is pretty good, and if you want to study the Bible, a New King James Version is pretty good. Now, I happen to have bought about 20 of these, so if you don't have a Bible, you need to raise your hand and get a Bible, because we want everyone to learn how to kind of get around in the scriptures we understand. At one time, I walked through that door, and I didn't have a Bible, and I didn't know where, I didn't even know what the first book was, uh, Genesis. That was, you know, foreign to me. So it's okay if you're in that place, but now's a good time to start learning your way around and somebody next to you can help show you how to get around. And then if you guys will, after your, uh, there's a couple over here. 
after you're done tonight, if you can turn these back in, then next week when we do this, everyone will be able to get a Bible that forgets one or doesn't have one, okay? So these are loners. <laughs> They're nice loners, so. All right. Okay. Um, I took the title of tonight's uh, Bible study from chapter 1, verse 21, to live as Christ and to die as gain, which is really the Paul's message um, in the book of Philippians. It's all about Christ and what he does for him. And as we're going to see in our study, there's um, Paul's, Paul's not exactly living on the mountaintop. Um, there's, he's got struggles, just like we have. There's a, a life isn't easy for him at this point in time, and yet, uh, this is probably the most joyous book in the Bible. I mean, it's just filled with all kinds of um, examples and actually um, affirmations to just be joyous and to rejoice. And so we'll see that as we begin to study it. But the, you will also see that this joy and this rejoicing is not coming out of his personal life circumstances. It's coming out of his relationship with Christ. And that he has learned to be content in all things because he has learned to be content in Christ. And Christ is everything. And so that's why it's a good book to study. So um, why did Paul write it? Um, well, there's a, a few reasons that, that Paul, oh, I have these opposite order. Um, so number one, why study it? Turn to uh, 1 Timothy 3.16 in your Bibles. And if you don't know how to get there, somebody nearby will help you. I'll go ahead and put this up in both versions. Oh. My memory fails me. So where is that? Second Timothy, Timothy 3.16. See, when I go off my memory, I'm in trouble. I should have looked it up. Okay. All Scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness. In the New Living Translation, we see all Scripture is inspired by God and is useful to teach us what is true, to make us realize what's wrong in our lives. It corrects us when we're going astray, and it teaches us to do what is right. Okay, so just the, the, the fact that the Bible is God's Word. It is living, it is breathing, it is active, it has power. It, 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 when, it, when you begin to study and begin to apply the principles of God's Word, things happen in your soul. Life begins to happen. The Word of God is not just words on paper. They are active words. They are alive words. Jesus did not stay dead on that cross. He is alive. And His words are alive. And our God is active and breathing and living. And it has power to penetrate deep places in your, your lives and to change things and to bring about difference in your life. And so that alone would be a good enough reason to study Philippians because it's in the Bible and the Bible brings life. Okay? Um, look, turn to uh, John chapter 5. 
39. This is Jesus talking, and he's talking to um, the religious leaders of the day. And um, he's telling them that they, are, they, they, look, they search the scriptures, for in them they think you, you think you have eternal life. And these are they are which testify of me. In, in the NLT, you search the scriptures because you think they give you eternal life, but the scriptures point to me. Okay? Now, this, of course, is the Old Testament he's talking about. But the fact of the matter is, all scripture is about Jesus. It points to Jesus. If you want life, you, if you want to find the life of Jesus, if you want to learn to be a Christian that follows Jesus well. It's in the scriptures. Scriptures do not bring you life. They bring you life because the scriptures point to Jesus. Okay, so um, another good reason to study the book of Philippians. That all of it speaks of Jesus. And the last reason I'll give you before we get going here is Matthew 22:36. Most of you know this passage, or at least you've heard it, and um, there's somebody asking a question, basically, um, Jesus, you know, what must, what's the greatest commandment? How do we find, you know, what's, what's, what's the Bible all about? If you're going to sum it up in one sentence, a mission statement, what is it? And Jesus says um, that you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul and all your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment. And the second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. And on all these and on these two commandments, all of the law and the prophets hang. Um, and so this is uh, sort of a summary of the Ten Commandments. He's saying, look, if you can love God and love others, you've got the whole law summed up. Um, if you go back into the Older Testament, they had tons of tons of of laws, okay, that were put forth. You have to do this. You got 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 to do this. And Jesus is saying, "Look, you can sum it all up in this: love God and love others." Okay. Well, it's hard to do that. Um, how do you love God and how how do you love others? Well. One way is, right, Jesus said, love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. You heard that? Anyone heard that? I've heard it. Okay. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. Well, we worshiped. So what are we, what are we worshiping with when we sing to the Lord? Okay. We're, we're worshiping with our, our heart. Okay. Worship with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. So Bible study in itself is part of that. Worship with your mind. Worship with your soul. The soul is the root of your, of your person, okay? So, so if you want to fulfill all the commandments of Scripture, part of it is learning how to worship. And worship is not just singing songs to God, although that's a great way to worship the Lord. It's only one way. The, the ancient um, rabbis of the Older Testament 
um, before Jesus came, used to say that the study of Scripture was the highest form of worship. The study of Scripture was the highest form of worship. Now, today sometimes, you, you, when people get too scholarly, scholarly, that's a scholarly, scholarly, that's not a word, I don't think. <laughs> I just made that up, but I shortened it. Um, scholarly, when you get too scholarly, people think, well, they're not really loving Jesus. That's not really loving Jesus, is it? But Bible study is worshiping the Lord with your mind, okay? And when you really apply yourself to it, when you really apply, you know, you really dig into it, that's worshiping with all your strength as well. So, very good reasons to study the book of Philippians. So now, we'll dig in a little. Um, I want to talk about why Paul wrote the book. Okay, so first and foremost, he writes the book to this Philippian church to thank them for a gift that was brought to him. They had sent a man named Epaphroditus to him with a monetary gift, some sort of fiscal gift of some sort. And um, Epaphroditus almost died doing it. And the, he's been nursed back to health, and Paul is sending him back. And so he's telling them, Hey, not only is Epaphroditus okay, but I want to thank you for your gift, and I'm going to send him back to you. And a little later, I'm going to send Timothy. So that's one reason. And we're going to get into all this in a little bit deeper, but for those of you who are used to um, sort of Bible overview surveys, it's good to kind of get a big picture of what's going on before you dig into the little pictures. Okay, so uh, another thing he does is to update them, update uh, this church in Philippi of his condition and inform them that he was going to send Timothy to them to help him out. Okay? All this we'll get into. And he, another thing that he wanted them to do is he wanted to encourage them to be in unity, okay? To stay um, together, unified as a whole. Uh, by, and Paul is big on unity, he talks about it a lot, okay? Um, and Jesus talked about it too. He said, a house divided cannot stand, right? So unity is a big deal, and to be careful of their, their moral conduct. There, I don't think there's an epistle or letter of Paul's that doesn't have some form of exhortation to live life well for Jesus, okay? And we'll see that as well. All right, so that's why we should study it, and that's why, God, that's why Paul wrote it. Okay, but um, let's sort of go into a little, little background here. Uh, if you look on this map here, I'm going to put the pointer over here is Jerusalem. Okay, um, Paul's missionary journey, this is a second missionary trip. Now he's taken one missionary journey. As a matter of fact, let's just even go back for, the, for some of you who may not know who Paul is. Uh, let's go find Acts in your Bible. Okay. Find the book of Acts, and um, let's quickly look at who Paul is. All right, in verse 57, Acts 7, 57, uh, there's a man named Stephen, one of the, the 
leaders in the church. And he's being attacked. And um, what you'll see here is he, he's going to become the first martyr for Christ. He's going to lay his life down for the, the gospel, which is the good news, the good news of Jesus Christ. And while this is going on, we're going to see this man named Saul in here. Saul becomes Paul. Uh, uh, 757, they cried out with a loud, loud voice, stopped their ears, and they ran at him. This is they're running at Stephen. And they cast him out of the city and stoned him. And the witnesses laid down their clothes at the feet of a young man named Saul. And they stoned Stephen as he was calling on God and saying, Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. And then he knelt down and cried out with a loud voice, Lord, do not charge them with this sin. And when he had said this, he fell asleep. The Bible's way of saying he died. And in verse 1 of chapter 8, Now Saul was consenting to his death. And at this time a great persecution arose against the church, which was at Jerusalem. Uh, go to chapter 9. Then Saul, still breathing threats and murder against the disciples of the Lord, went to the high priest and asked for letters from him to the synagogues of Damascus so that if he found any who were of the way, that's the followers of Jesus, whether men or women, he might bring them bound to Jerusalem. And as he journeyed near Damascus and suddenly a light shone around him from heaven, he fell to the ground and he heard a voice saying to him, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? And he said, Who are you, Lord? And the Lord said, I am Jesus, whom you are persecuting. It's hard for you to kick against the goats. So this is the, the transformation of Saul into Paul. This is when Saul becomes, and he goes from, um, you know, I'm possibly murdering Christians uh, to becoming one of the greatest followers of Jesus Christ that we know of. I mean, he, he, he penned at least... Uh, half, maybe more, of the New Testament. And most uh, doctrine, theology, uh, is, is lifted from Paul's letters. So what we know of how to live for Christ, a lot of it comes from Paul. And so there's this amazing transforma transformation in his life. And so this, is, this Saul, now Paul, is, this is the same person that's going to write this letter to Philippi. Um, the city of Philippi is a city of less than 10,000 people. It's a, small, it's a small city, okay? Not a big city, but it's a very important city. Um, as you see on the map, I'll put the pointer on it. It's way up here, okay? It's right up there. That's modern-day Greece. So uh, this is Turkey, basically, this Phrygia. This is all Turkey, uh, Greece which is called Macedon, Macedonia. Um, and then up here is Bulgaria. And, um, and then, you know, coming down here, Athens. And then over here is Italy, is over here. Okay, so, so you see Philippi up there. Now, when Paul did his first missionary journey, he went up from Jerusalem to Tyre, Sidon, Antioch, traveled up into Turkey here, which is called Galatia. We know the book of Galatians, okay? Uh, and he then came down to Ephesus and made the round trip. Well, it was his intention to do the same thing on the, on the second missionary journey, but 
right, right about here, um, something changes plans. So, so we'll read that. Uh, turn in your Bibles to Acts 16. And um, so after the first missionary journey, Paul is, um, he goes to Jer back to Jerusalem. He has a little, he has a little tete-a-tete, um, uh, -tete, a little meeting with the apostles there. Um, Peter is the main man in Jerusalem. And there's a little bit of division over what Paul's teaching. Now, if in Acts 9, if we had kept reading, you would have seen that God said, I've called Paul to be my apostle to the Gentiles, to be, to be my spokesman to people who are non-Jewish. Okay? So Paul's making these journeys that, away from Jerusalem to find... The, his primary purpose is to reach the people who are not Jewish. Okay? Now he starts in the synagogues. He always starts with the Jewish people first. And then he begins to preach to what the Bible calls Gentiles or non-Jews. Um, but there's been this confrontation because the, the Jewish people in Jerusalem are thinking that all converts should um, uh, go all the way. Um, which involves um, a painful process <laughs> um, called circumcision. And um, nobody's real happy to join the church if, if it means, uh, you know, let, let's just say this, you're going to have a lot more women converts than men converts, okay? So, so no one's real, real thrilled with this idea of, of needing uh, to do that to join the church. So they have a meeting and Paul says, look, you know, um, it's not right. You shouldn't, shouldn't lay things on these people, a bunch of burdens that are unnecessary. It's all about believing in Jesus. And he wins. So he's ha he has this great victory coming into Acts 16. He just, you know, he, he basically convinced the church that the right way was to, to not put this burden on the non-Jews. So uh, he's going to begin his second missionary journey here, um, and he's, he's excited to do so. He had a little following out with John Mark, um, and so in Acts 16.6, 6, uh, he takes Silas on his second missionary journey instead of John Mark, because John Mark um, disappointed him on the first one. And later on, Paul uh, and John Mark make up, and that's where you get the book of Mark, which is a gospel um, they, you know, Paul softens, I think, a little bit in his old age. He's, he's, he's a real fiery go-getter when he's young. And, um, and so we pick up the story here in Acts 16, 6, uh, and, and I'll go ahead and read it from um, the NLT. Next, Paul and Silas traveled through the area of Phrygia and Galatia because the Holy Spirit had prevented them from preaching the word in the province of Asia at that time. Then, coming to the borders of, of Mysia, they headed north for the province of Bithynia. But again, the Spirit of Jesus did not allow them to go there. So instead, 
they went on through Mysia to the seaport of Troas. And that night Paul had a vision. A man from Macedonia in northern Greece was standing there, pleading with him, come over to Macedonia and help us. So we decided to leave for Macedonia at once, having concluded that God was calling us to preach the good news there. Okay, so I want to just kind of sit in that for a second. Um, okay. There we go. Um, so you'll remember that they went up, they're following their first missionary journey, they get to Galatia here, uh, they, get, they get to Antioch here, they're going to turn and head for Ephesus like they did on their first journey, and the, the Spirit, the Bible says the Spirit of the Lord wouldn't let them. So they said, well, we must, if we can't go that way, I guess we're supposed to go this way. At this point, thinking that they're just supposed to go to Asia and come on back. And the Spirit of the Lord said, no, you can't go up there. And so they go the only way they're allowed to, which is this way. They get to here. Paul has a dream. He says, please cross over to Mas Macedonia. And so they do. And... They end up here in Philippi. Philippi being the first place they visit once they, they cross over into, and now this is Europe. So this is a big deal, okay? Because the gospel has now not only uh, left Asia and touched Europe, but it's also touched the Roman Empire, which is basically rules the world in that day. Philippi was a city that was um, along the Ignatian Way, which was a road. And the, ro the Romans invented roads. Okay? So the Ignatian Way was a highway, ran from Philippi over here, up and around, over to Rome. Okay? It, was the, it was the way that the Roman Empire could move east to its ever-expanding empire. Okay, that was the road, the Ignatian Way. And Philippi is one of the main stops on it. Philippi was founded by Philip of Macedon, who was the father of Alexander the Greek. Most of you have heard of him. And there's um, this battle that takes place at 42 um, BC that um, Octavian and Mark Anthony are in a battle with Brutus and Cassius. And um, Octavian, Mark Anthony win. Octavian goes on to be Caesar Augustus, okay? So he, Caesar Augustus, of course, um, makes it a Roman province. This city becomes a Ro Roman province, which is, is not, it's pretty rare, okay? Um, I mean, the, the Romans capture a lot of ground, but they don't make everything a Roman province, okay? So what that does is that makes everybody in town who is not of Roman uh, ancestry a peasant. And so you, this is now a city of very high-class Roman people who speak Latin and walk around in Roman garb, or the peasant working class that speaks Greek, okay? It's a big dichotomy here with nothing in the middle. No, there's no middle class, okay? Um, and so when 
Paul's dream to travel over to Macedonia comes to fruition. That is the first we see of the gospel actually traveling in, in infecting the Roman Empire, okay, which is the ruling uh, party of the world. So there's going to be confrontation there, to say the least. Okay. Um, I also wanted to talk a little bit about the importance of just being in tune. The Bible has a word called discernment. Okay. And we, I don't know from this story how exactly the Holy Spirit forbid Paul from traveling to Ephesus or north to Bithynia. I don't, I don't know what that looked like. But I know this much. I know that as you begin to f follow Jesus and begin to work, work things out and, and find your way in the Lord. I'm gonna use, I'll use that term. When you find your way in the Lord, a lot of it has to do with discernment. And a lot of it has to do with being, becoming aware of God's still small voice. And I think, I know this in my own life. And so I'm going to say I think this is true often because I know it's in my own life that there are times when I have spiritual ears and I'm hearing well. And if God says don't go there, I hear it. And there are times in my life when my hearing is dull. And if he says don't go there, I might miss it. Now had Paul traveled on to Ephesus, you know, I am sure that eventually God would work his plan out and get into Europe and, and, and get that gospel into the Roman Empire. But the fact is that Paul had ears to hear. And he, you know, the world is changed because of his spiritual sensitivity. And that has a lot to do with just being able to listen for the voice of God. And that's not easy to do. We live in a society that's very noisy. It's noisy. Even in quiet places, it's noisy. Because it's always go, 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 busy, 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 busy. Stuff to do, stuff to do, stuff to do. And sometimes you just have to be able to turn all that stuff off and get quiet in your own soul and be able to hear the voice of God. So I just wanted, I wanted to stop there and, and kind of ponder that because I think it's a good reminder for us that we could miss big things, <laughs> you know, if we don't have discernment. God wanted to change the whole world here. I'm going to go, I'm going to take on the Roman Empire. And because Paul was spiritually sensitive enough to hear that, things happened. Okay. Um, so they want to go to, to Ephesus and, and Bithynia, but they can't. And they end up crossing into Macedonia and we'll look at verse 11 here. Pick this up in 11. We boarded a boat at Troas and sailed straight across the island of Samothrace. And the next day, uh, we landed at Neapolis. From there, we reached Philippi, a major, a major city of that district of Macedonia, and a Roman colony. And we stayed there several days. Okay, so they made it across. They reached Philippi. Um, I thought it was interesting that if you go to Acts 20, 
uh, verse 6, you'll read the return trip. And the return trip takes five days. I'm a sailor, so I like, I kind of, you know, I catch those things and it's always interesting to me. So obviously, God was with them. They, they jetted across that channel <laughs> one day trip. The wind must have been, you know, smooth sailing. You know, you, you hear the blessing, you know, may the wind be always at your back. Smooth sailing, you know. So they're, uh, they got smooth sailing because they're hearing the voice of God. They, it just takes one day to get there. On the way back, it's a little more difficult. Five-day trip, okay? So probably a little headwind there. Um, and on, in verse 13, on the Sabbath, they went a little way outside the city riverbank where they thought people would be meeting for prayer, and they sat down to speak with some women who had gathered there. One of them was Lydia from Thyatira, a merchant of expensive purple cloth who worshipped God. And she listened to us. The Lord opened her heart, and she accepted what Paul was saying. She was baptized along with other members of her household, and she asked us to be her guests. Okay. The first convert, the first... Um, the first citizen of Europe to receive Jesus and become a follower. And then they called it, remember, the way. But now we call it a Christian. Okay? Um, is Lydia. Now, normally, when Paul goes into a city, he goes to the synagogue first. But Philippi uh, didn't have the requisite ten men to have a quorum in the city of Philippi, so there wasn't a synagogue. And so Paul just looks for anybody who might be open. And he finds Lydia, they're praying. It says that, that she was a, you know, a woman of God, basically. Uh, she worshiped God. And so Paul, that's where Paul decides to take his message. And Lydia will become a key figure, a leader in the church at Philippi. And I, I won't spend a lot of time here, but there's, a, there's always debates upon whether women should be leaders and, and um, what they can do in the church. And they usually use Paul. They usually you know, take one phrase out of one of Paul's epistles as the sort of card they play when they say women shouldn't be leaders in the church. Well, Paul didn't seem to have a problem with it. So, you know, whatever you think that verse means, I'm going to challenge that a little bit. Because Paul used women a lot to build his churches. Okay? And this vision, this dream of the Macedonian men calling, come, come over here and save us, uh, turns out to be a Macedonian women. So, um, so here we are. The church is birthed. And um, we pick it up in verse 15. She was baptized along with other members of the household. She asked us to be her guest. If you agree that I am true believer of the Lord, she said, come and stay in my home. And she urged us until we agreed. And so um, this ends up being where Paul pitches his tent. And I'm using that phrase on purpose. Paul is a tent maker. Um, and, and so um, Lydia believes and is baptized. Now, we talk about this in our Connection series, as a lot of people have been baptized um, early in life. And... 
um, maybe never really realized the importance of baptism, but all throughout the book of Acts, which is the history of the early church, the history of how the church is being birthed, whenever somebody came to Jesus and said, you know what, I believe that Jesus died on the cross for me and that he rose victorious over my sin and he defeated death, and I now have eternal life. I believe that my sins were nailed to the cross. I no longer have to live in, in shame and guilt because Jesus paid the price for me. When you accept that good news, the gospel of Jesus Christ, then it's always followed by water baptism. And I myself had been baptized as an infant, but when Jesus says, repent, turn around, change your ways, change, receive me, and be baptized, the and be baptized actually follows the heart's decision. So I throw that out there because usually in a gathering this size, there's somebody who is now a follower of Jesus who was baptized as an infant. And I, I would challenge you, we have some books in the bookstore um, called um, Newborn, a book called Newborn, little tiny books, like $3 called from Jack Hayford about the importance of actually being water baptized after you believe. It's really an affirmation of what's already going on in your heart. So unless you already had a relationship with Jesus when you were baptized, I would challenge you to think and pray about whether or not you want to be baptized. You can also come to one of the Connection series. We have one in June, um, June 1st, where we're going to talk about that if, if you want to do that. So I throw that out there for you. Um, verse 16 and I'm going to go ahead and read a big chunk of it now. One day as we were going down to the place of prayer, this is, you know, Lydia's place, we met, and the Bible's going to use this phrase, a demon-possessed slave girl. She was a fortune teller who earned a lot of money for her masters, and she followed Paul and the rest of them shouting, these men are servants of the Most High God, and they come to tell us how to be saved. Um, she, she's doing this in a very mocking way. Um, and this went on day after day until Paul got so exasperated that he turned and said to the demon within her, I command you in the name of Jesus Christ to come out of her, and instantly it left her. Her master's hopes of wealth were now shattered. So they grabbed Paul and Pilate. They dragged them before the authorities at the marketplace. The whole city was in an uproar. Because of these Jews, they shouted to the city officials, they are teaching customs that are illegal for us Romans to practice. A mob quickly formed against Paul and Silas, and the city officials ordered them stripped and beaten with wooden rods, and they were thrown into prison. The, the jailer was ordered to make sure they didn't escape, so the jailer put them into the inner dungeon and clamped their feet in the stocks. Around midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God, and the other prisoners were listening, and suddenly there was an earthquake, and the prison was shaken to its foundations. All the doors immediately flew open, and the chains of every prisoner fell off, and the jailer woke up to see the prison doors wide open. He assumed the prisoners had escaped, so he drew his sword to kill himself. But Paul shouted to him, Stop, don't kill yourself, we're all here. The jailer called for lights and ran to the dungeon and fell down trembling before Paul and Silas. And then he brought them out and asked, Sir, what must I do to be saved? And they replied, Believe in the Lord Jesus and you will be saved, along with everyone in your household. And they shared the word of the Lord with him 
and with all who lived in his household. Even at that hour of the night, the jailer cared for them and washed their wounds, and then he and everyone in his household were immediately baptized. Okay, so we see the church expanding. Lydia and her household, now we have the jailer and his household, um, but we also see some conflict going on in the spiritual realm. And this is going to be true anytime the Word of God, anytime truth uh, comes up against um, sp the spiritual dimension, um, there's going to be conflict. So it, it's a reality. Spiritual warfare is a reality. Okay? There, just as there are spirits who want uh, to that are on, on your side and want to help you and minister to you and they help get the gospel out. There are spirits that are against that. And you, when you look at, now remember we talked about this, the gospel is, is now infecting the Roman Empire. It's now affecting Europe. It's trying to take ground in a place it's never been before. Okay, it, it is the minority at this point. And there will be conflict in the spiritual world. Now, I don't say that to freak anybody out. Um, I, I think it's important to recognize it. Um, Jesus is bigger than all the spirits we face. You know, um, who, if our God is for us, who can be against us, right? But the, but the reality is, well, let's do this. Let's, let's um, I'll talk about it this way. San Francisco and Philippi are a lot alike. Okay? Very similar type cities. Okay? Philippi is one of the key sort of cities of the world at that time. It's, it's part of the um, strongest nation of the world. It's a key city in the strongest empire in the world. Okay? Any similarities there? Okay? Also, I give you a word, word here, syncretism. Um, both of both those cities, the city we live in, and Philippi, are very um, pantheistic, okay? Rome's idea of uh, spirit, spirituality was whatever they conquered, they assimilated the gods of that culture into their pantheon of gods that they already had. It's called syncretism. They synchronized all, all whatever it was, if they, you know, no matter what culture they took over, they just took their gods and said, they're now part of our gods. And we just keep expanding this thing um, until, you know, so it, it kind of worked for them because you, you didn't offend anyone by, by saying that your gods were false, right? I don't know if that strikes any similarities, right? Don't, you know, don't say any way is the wrong way, okay? It's all good. It's all good. Just incorporate it. There's an element of truth in everything, right? 
Okay, very similar, very similar to what we face here. Unless you say ours is the right way. Now all of a sudden there's going to be warfare. Okay, so when Paul, you know, when Paul reaches Philippi and proclaims one way, one true God, um, he is met in the spiritual dimension with warfare. Okay? And that's going to be true in any key city, any key place, anywhere. I mean, it's going to be true anytime the gospel goes anywhere, but it's more true in spiritual strongholds, which Philippi is at this point. It's a key city in the strongest empire in the world. And so, um, I mean, look what happens to Paul. He's mocked by a demon-possessed girl. I mean, the word that's used in the original Greek is a pythonic spirit. Okay? So the spirit of a python is mocking him day after day. When he uses the power of Jesus Christ to cast that spirit out, then all of a sudden things are rankled. People are beating him, stripping him down, casting him out. Um, and he's singing hymns <laughs> to God. And, and so, which is, you know, I mean, it, that's always amazing to me um, that in no matter kind of, this is a good segue that what we're going to have here because, you know, Paul has the ability to be happy and rejoice in the worst of circumstances because he knows he's doing what God is asking him to do. Okay? It's not about what it looks like on the outside for him. It's about Christ. To live is Christ. To live is Christ and to die is gain. In other words, to go be with Jesus is, better, is even better. It's even better. I win either way. So, Paul, despite the fact that he will be shipwrecked three times, um, beaten to a pulp, stoned, um, imprisoned, and the whatnot, he has the ability to rejoice and to be singing hymns to God when he's in the stocks uh, on the inner sanctum of a jail and to have to be able to rejoice. And so Philippians is often called um, the letter of joy. Okay? The letter of joy. You're going to see it all throughout Philippians. And here it begins. It begins that, no, I mean, that doesn't look like a great beginning to the gospel, does it? I mean, one, let's see, Lydia and whatever her family was, and a jailer and whatever his family was. That's it. And the rest of the town wants to beat him to a pulp. But this is it. I mean, this is the beginning of a movement, a spread across Europe. And so, um, Paul, Paul loves Philippi. He's going, to, um, he's going to talk about in his letter how much he loves them. He uses terms of endearment. It's not the normal Paul we see, who's a little bit usually more brash and boisterous and sort of um, contending for things with the, the different churches. It's a very tender letter. And um, I think I know why. It's because, you know, despite the fact that he was beaten, uh, 
imprisoned, um, and he took some lumps to start it. The fact of the matter is, this is the beginning. This is the genesis. This is the gospel spreading. This is, this is, I mean, you want to talk about he's the apostle to the Gentiles, the apostle to reach people that are non-Jewish. He's starting to reach them. He's touching Rome. And the funny thing is, in, ten years later, when he writes to this church, he's in a Roman prison. And so we'll look at that. But Paul is in jail, probably about 60, 61 AD, writing back to the church of Philippi um, and when he writes this, this letter and sends Epaphroditus back to thank them and sends this tender letter of joy. Okay? So, got, we'll dig into, we're actually going to get into Philippians here at some point. Um, I know some of you were worried, but we'll turn back to Philippians here in a minute. I want to give you a couple minutes to do whatever you need to do. There's a, a water uh, jug out there, the restrooms or whatever. We'll come back. It's 8.10. At 8.15, I'm going to start back up. Now, I've done these things in different ways. Last time I took questions throughout. This time I'm going to push through. At the end, I'll take some questions, okay? So... What we're probably going to do is from 8.15 to 8.45, I'm going to dig into the first six verses of Philippians, and then I'll take some questions after that um, for those people that want to stay. For those who want to go, they can go. And then um, we'll, but I, don't, I think we'll get through about Philippians 1.6, okay? So go ahead, five minutes, and we'll come on back. Um, so I don't want to like really rush past important things because um, you know sometimes when you bring stuff up um, there are people who need to it's new to them and they want to spend a little time there so now, I won't have time to spend um, a vast amount of time there if we're going to get through well my goal is to get through Philippians not in just this June session but also in August so we're going to do three weeks in August, so my goal is to get through two, um, two chapters of Philippians in the next three weeks. But I also don't want to rush past things, and I had some people talk about this spiritual warfare thing. And um, it's not meant to scare you, but the Bible is very real about it. In, in 1 Peter 5, 7, uh, 5, 8, it says, Be sober, be vigilant, because your adversary the devil walks about like a of roaring lions seeking whom he may devour. And in Ephesians uh, 6, um, Paul, the same Paul who's faced this pythonic spirit, it, he tells you to put on the whole armor of God and he tells you what that looks, about, looks like, okay? Truth and faith and um, the sword, which is your Bible. Okay, so it's a, it is a reality. It is, um, it's not something that uh, I think you want to get fearful of, okay? Because that's not, this, the Spirit of God is not fear, right? Okay. Um, power, love, sound mind, right? So, um, so we shouldn't be fearful, but it's good to be aware. 
Because if you're doing something for God and all of a sudden you got a lot of problems in your life, things are kind of breaking down all around you, and you go, I thought I was doing something good for God, and now my life's a mess. Well, I think it's good to be aware that, well, my life's a mess because I am doing something good for God. Because I'm stirring some stuff up in the Spirit. And so rather than saying, man, woe is me, you can actually say, wow, I must really be doing something good for God. <laughs> Praise the Lord. <laughs> Got somebody angry with me. <laughs> Which is the approach I try to take when things are falling apart around me. So, yeah, call it all joy. Okay, so, and we're going to look at joy. Now, I passed out a couple of handouts. Did you guys all get the two handouts on your way in? Okay. The bigger one, the one with four pages, is, is by James Montgomery Boyce. I should have wrote the names on here before I copied them all. I did not. But if you need to know, James Montgomery Boyce, a scholar, uh, teacher. Um, on, on the, if you turn, the first page is um, actually page 11. So turn, turn to the next page. And um, Carlos, can you get a, a couple of handouts and bring anybody else need a handout? Raise your hand. Two people. Two people. On page thirteen, um, which is the second column over, you look down. Paul's secret. You guys see Paul's secret? Okay, right above that. Three lines above that. I'm going to start there. Okay. Think of it. The great apostle in a dirty Roman prison, deserted by most of his friends and almost forgotten, yet he writes with joy, rejoicing in the riches that belong to all believers in Christ. Paul's secret. Why did Paul have such joy in a place and at a time like that? And why do so many of us, so few of us, have it in affluent America? What was Paul's secret? What was the key that he had found? The secret is a simple one. Paul had filled his mind with the mind of Christ. We flip over to page um, 14, second paragraph down. He goes on, I'm skipping over a part where he talks about you can't think about two things at once. And then he says, maybe you feel that this is just an ideal, something possible for Paul or for some other outstanding Christian, but not for you. I'm not sure that I can agree with that at all. We are able to fill our minds with material things. We can also fill our minds with Christ. I have seen our daughter so preoccupied with chocolate candy that she will be led to ask for some merely by seeing something painted brown. In the same way, we should be so preoccupied with Christ that we see him in everything, see him in nature, see him in human relationships, see him in our triumph and also in our sorrows. To be filled with Christ is the secret of real Christian living. It is the secret of true happiness. Okay, so there's, and that's a great, you can read that, little, that whole booklet if you want. It was pretty good. But, I mean, that's a pretty good paraphrase of what's going on in Paul. I mean, he's in jail. He's not living the, uh, the ideal lifestyle, and yet this letter is going to be filled with joy. And it's because he has the ability to focus on Christ. And I just alluded to that, you know. In your trials, remember um, this is, you know, Paul's going to talk about in this, in this letter the fellowship of suffering with Jesus you know that there are things that won't always go our way in the natural but they're going our way in the spirit 
And Paul learned to be able to rejoice in that. Okay? He learned that the circumstances he was in didn't dictate um, his happiness. Okay? His, his relationship with Christ and what he was doing for the kingdom of God is what dictated his joy. And so let's pick up um, now on our study in the book of Philippians so you can turn there with me. Okay, verse 1. It's a very familiar greeting from Paul. Um, they call these letters epistles because of the form they take. Uh, the form is, part of the form is this intro, and you'll find it in all of Paul's letters. Um, well, maybe not all of Paul's letters. Okay, let me rephrase that. Strike that from the tape. <laughs> um, you'll usually find this sort of um, opening salvo from Paul where he, he gives the two, he gives the from, the to, and imparts uh, a word of blessing, okay? From to blessing, and that's, that's sort of the epistolatory uh, nature, uh, one, of, one of the epistolatory natures of a letter of that day, okay? That may not, you know, Paul, we don't know if Paul wrote some like Hebrews or something because it doesn't have that, so... It's possible Paul wrote other letters in different forms. But in this letter, um, he starts with Paul and Timothy, bondservants of Jesus Christ, to all the saints in Christ Jesus who are in Philippi. So we have the from and the to, with the bishops and the deacons. Those are the elders, the leaders, Lydia and whatnot. Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, Paul used this term bondservant um, quite a bit. To It's what he calls himself. And it's not an accident. And he's not making light of it. Um, it is the term for slave. And it was just as reprehensible, if not more so, in that day and age as it is now. Now, it was a, it was a practice in that day. It was a common practice. But it was... It was um, reprehensible because you not only were not uh, were you indentured to somebody but you had no identity you had no life you were a, an object that belonged to the person to the master okay so when Paul's saying I'm a, a bond servant a slave to Jesus Christ he's going out of his way to make a point that he is completely given himself over to Jesus Christ. And then, on the interesting in this letter, he includes Timothy. He doesn't do that anywhere else. He usually just talks about himself. But obviously, he knows Timothy well enough at this point to be able to say as well that Timothy is a slave of Jesus Christ. And, um, you know, a bond servant. Interesting, he's in jail, he's in chains. He's in bondage, and he calls himself a bondservant of Jesus Christ. Um, let's turn to 1 Corinthians 
Okay, Paul's talking about here, he's, he's giving a, an admonition about, you know, being quick to sort of jump professions once you meet Jesus. But that's sort of the point of what he's saying. But what he says is, you were bought at a price. So don't become slaves of men. And so he's, he's, he's making a point here. Um, he's making the point that all of you, all of us, are slaves of Jesus Christ along with him. Because our soul was bought and paid for in full by the blood of Jesus Christ. And so we owe him everything. And the more we can remind ourselves of that, I think the better off we'll be. Because a lot of times we start getting into it and we start doing things and we think we're kind of running the show. <laughs> I know I'm, I'm saying we because I'm there. So, but realistically, we got nothing. If it isn't for Jesus and his sacrifice on the cross, we are hopeless and we are going no place. But because of the blood of Jesus, our souls have been paid for. We not only have redemption, which gives us eternal life, but we have a life more abundant here to live for him. And everything we do in this life to live is for Christ. Now, I'm not advocating just, you know, um, therefore, don't worry about your family, don't take care of your family, don't take care of this, don't, don't care, take care of your job. That, I'm not saying that. But I am saying live it well for Jesus Christ. Because at the end of your days, and anybody who's seen people at their end of the days, um, you will know that nobody says, man, I wish I had more time to do this or more time to do that. It's all given back. Everything you have is borrowed. And whatever money you make, whatever family you have, you have to say goodbye. And so, um, to live as Christ. To live as Christ. We are slaves to Jesus. And I, we need to remind ourselves, and it's not supposed to be um, a negative, you know, it's, it's a positive. Paul's going to make the point here that there's nothing better. There is nothing better. When we live our life for Christ, we have purpose, we have value. What we're doing actually exceeds this lifetime. It has eternal uh, ramifications. Okay? So, uh, back to Philippians. To the saints in Jesus Christ who are in Philippi. I talked about this last time I did Bible study. Saints does not mean just Mother Teresa or whatever. Saints is all followers of Jesus Christ. Okay, All followers of Jesus Christ. Some of, some of us, like me, have come from a, a Catholic background. And so our interpretation of what saints means when you read saints in the Bible might be a little bit... Um, uh, you might need a shift in your paradigm. When you see the Bible say the word saints, it's talking to you. Okay? If you receive the Lord Jesus, you're a saint. Because, not because of what you did, but because He has washed you clean of all sin, you are perfect in His sight. Okay? Which is the only way you can come before God. God is light. In Him there is no darkness at all. And the light will swallow up the dark. The only way you're getting into the presence of God is if you are perfect. But you're not perfect on anything you did. You're perfect because Jesus did it. Does that make sense? Okay. Um, and then 
he gives his familiar blessing, uh, grace to you and peace. Uh, this is kind of a signature sort of uh, Paul, Pauline um, theological blessing. In that day and age in, in Greece, they, they used to say the word sharin, um, which meant rejoice. That was kind of, you know, like we say hello. And he's twisted that into charis, charis, which is grace. So he's taken the very familiar Greek blessing and he's made it grace, grace being the unmerited favor of God, not just mercy, but blessing on top of mercy. And, um, and then he's combined it with the, the typical um, Jewish um, form of blessing. Uh, they say shalom, peace, shalom. So uh, you have charis and shalom, grace and peace. Now, shalom means more than just a lack of sort of chaos, noise, or, or, or whatever. It means wholeness, okay? So when we say, be holy, because your God is holy, that's, that's what it's talking about. It's, no, there's no division in you. There's no imperfection. There is, you are whole. You are complete. You are fulfilled. You are, there's, there's no separation in you, Okay? The, the sin, sin separates, right? Wholeness, the wholeness of God. So um, this is like this statement, grace and peace to you is like, <laughs> you know, scholars talk about it for pages and pages and pages because it's a complete theological diatribe of taking both forms of familiar greetings, the Greek and the, and the Jewish forms of greeting and saying, Look, I'm not only just going to tell you to rejoice and have peace, but I'm going, to, I'm going to tell you within that, the grace of the Lord be with you. May the Lord's favor be upon you. May you see his mercy, and may you be blessed on top of that. And may you be complete, whole, and fulfilled because of what Jesus Christ has done. Okay, so there's, that's a, I mean, it's a beautiful uh, statement um, when, when, when Paul says grace to you and peace. Verse I thank my God upon every remembrance of you always in every prayer of mine making requests for you with all joy so there's you know right off the bat we're getting joy for your fellowship in the gospel from the first day until now being confident of this very thing that he who has begun a good work in you will complete it until the day of Jesus Christ. In the NLT, every time I think of you, I give thanks to God. Whenever I pray, I make my request for, all, for you with all joy. For you have been my partners in spreading the good news about Christ from the time you first heard it until now. And I'm certain that God, who began the good work within you, will continue his work, and this I love, continue his work until it's finally finished on the day when Jesus Christ returns or we go to him, okay? So, um, remember I talked about spiritual discernment earlier. Um, I think it's important to begin to understand um, the voice of the Lord. Paul's saying, you know what Paul's saying here? He's saying, when you come to my memory, when, when I'm... In my thought life, you come to my mind, I know it's from the Lord, and I pray into that. I know it's from the Lord. He has discernment, enough discernment 
at this stage of the game to understand um, that whenever you know God brings some sort of church or person in the church or someone to his memory that that's just not um, by accident and he prays into the moment I mean it's a beautiful thing I wish I could say that <laughs> I do that too but you know I'm a work in progress but I mean I thank my God upon every remembrance of you always in every prayer making requests for you with all joy I mean he's I mean here is a, a, a man of um, I mean, a very devoted prayer life. But it's not just the solemn prayer of, you know, I'm going to spend, here's my list, and I'm going to spend an hour praying on this this morning. No, it's, it's the prayer of, I just thought of you, I'm going to pray into that. Okay? And I'm going to thank God for you, because you're fellow, you're, you're, you're fellowship with me. And that word, partakers or fellowship, you'll see, Partners in the NLT, um, fellowship in, um, in the New King James is koinonia. A lot of us have heard that word. It's kind of a, it's, the word means fellowship. And in, in the early church, they had koinonia. And it's this ideal sort of fellowship. But it's kind of been um, altered a little bit um, in... in in our thinking. So I'm going to go ahead and um, do this. I'll give you the, I'll give you the Greek uh, koinonia. Partnership, participation, social intercourse, or pecuniary benefaction to communicate or communication, communion, contribution, fellowship. Okay, that's from Strong's. Uh, on your um, the other handout I gave you. Starting at the left-hand side of the page, there's just one paragraph. I know it got cut off a little bit on yours. I'm sorry about that, but um, I can read mine. So, um, so you'll have to listen to me. Um, it is important to understand here that the church of Philippi would become Paul's favorite church. Paul enjoyed a unique closeness to the Philippians, which we see in his exceptionally warm and friendly expression in this letter. Paul makes this clear right after his greeting as he says, I thank my God in all remembrance of you, always in every prayer of mine for you, uh, making my prayer with joy because of your fellowship in the gospel from the first day until now the very verses we just read, right? The word partnership is the Greek word koinonia, or fellowship. Paul feels a warm fellowship in the gospel. Okay, so we're going to kind of go into this a little bit. We're going to dig in here with the Philippians. As we'll see in our next study, the same word, fellowship or partnership, or its derivatives, appears six times in Philippians, and then give you the the connotations there. And we shall see that this is not just a church social fellowship as Christians today often think of the word, but it is a robust fellowship that rides on their mutual commitment to the gospel. The gospel fellowship grew from their commitment to support Paul's missionary journey in, in the fourth chapter of Philippians. They, he talks about that. We talked about it. Epaphroditus came with a, a gift. Came with, they, he came with money from the church of Philippi to support Paul in what he did. 
Um, and so they're partners with him in the gospel and spreading the good news and reaching Europe and reaching into the Roman Empire in, in taking on spiritual warfare and spreading the good news of Jesus Christ. They are partners in it. And this is why he's thankful. And this is why they are a blessing. And this is what true fellowship is. What we must understand as we go through Philippians is that while there are various reasons for Paul's writing, this letter comes from the depths of fellowship that Paul and the Philippians shared in the gospel. This accounts for the feel of the letter and the basis for what Paul said to the Philippians and how he said it. This is why the book has the subtitle, The Fellowship of the Gospel. It is an epic fellowship suggested by Tolkien's title, The Fellowship of the Ring. There's no punch and cookies here. This is not fellowship of compatriots bound together. This is the fellowship of compatriots bound together in a great cause. And you will not understand this letter if you do not understand this. Okay? What is he saying? This, by the way, was from a, a man named R. Kent Hughes, another scholar. Um, what is he saying? He's, he's saying that if we go back to that verse and we look at what Paul's thankful about, he's thankful for their partnership in the gospel. It has more to do with just sort of friends and hanging out together and having a meal and all that stuff is great. And that's all part of it but it's not the sole reason behind Paul's joy or the reason he's thankful. The reason he's thankful is because they are with him in his kingdom endeavor to spread the good news of Jesus Christ. All things are Christ. To live is Christ. Paul brings everything back to it. The reason he loves this church, the reason it's his most endearing church is because they are partners with him. He can count on them when it comes to spreading the good news of Jesus Christ. That's true fellowship. Common goal. Common mission. Okay? We have a mission statement here at Cornerstone to be an exceptional outreach church that develops followers of Jesus Christ. Okay? Fellows, true fellowship and communion in this community would look like partnering in the furtherance of that mission. That's what Paul's saying. So it's not just about having, as our Kent Hughes said, punching cookies. It's about kingdom work. And that true fellowship bands together for the good of the gospel and the furtherance of the gospel. And this is what brings Paul joy and why he can thank God every morning for the Philippian church. Okay? Are you tracking with me, I hope? So, I mean, we see this word fellowship a lot. To Paul, it means something a little bit different, I think, than we, we kind of know it to mean. And so, you know, my, I'm, I'm, I would ask maybe, you know, where, where are we in this fellowship? Where are we in this fellowship? If this is home for you, if this is your church, if this is the body of Christ that you believe God's called you to and you're a part of that body, whether you're a hand, a foot, an eye, ear, hair, doesn't matter, okay, the little toe, doesn't matter, everybody's needed and everybody's a part of the body, you know, where are you in the fellowship, okay, because true fellowship is the common goal of reaching San Francisco with the good news of Jesus Christ, okay, partnering in that brings true joy 
true reality we're going to see in this book it's going to bring to live as Christ that's what your life is really about whether or not you know at this point what that looks like what your gift is how you're supposed to you know where you fit in all that stuff is just part of the journey but the fact of the matter is being part of that is what will bring you joy gratitude in God it will bring you fulfillment it will bring you completion because that's true koinonia that will bring you true fellowship okay and then we get to our final verse of the night and I'm out of time and we'll do it next week Philippians 1 6 okay so I'm gonna pray um, before we we break here and um, then I'll, I'll hang around to answer questions for anybody who wants to answer questions. And um, also, you know, you're, you can always email me or, you know, one of the other past, Pastor Marty um, or myself. We're happy to do that. Our name, you know, my email is skip at and then the website address, cornerstone-sf.org. So um, we're happy to do that as well. And if you, you know, if something came up that, you know, maybe... Um, you're unfamiliar with, you're wrestling with, or something, then by all means, please, um, you know, seek somebody out to talk, talk with about that. It's, it's not about um, uh, being confused. It's about getting your questions answered and moving, you know, moving into new paradigms in the Lord, whatever the Lord wants to say to you. So um, let me pray. Lord, thank you. I thank you for this fellowship, for this this church, Cornerstone Church of San Francisco, uh, and I am so blessed to be a part of this body of Christ, this local congregation, this, this church in a city, a key city in the strongest empire in the world right now. And I pray that just as Paul had his beginnings with Lydia and the jailer, and we have our beginnings with this church that you would continue to expand it. You would continue to move the good news of Jesus Christ into this city and affect it for you. I pray that, that we as a community would be like the Philippian church, unified in our commitment to do that, blessed because we are in true fellowship and that we are doing our, our kingdom work and blessed because, Lord, we have learned to rejoice or to have joy no matter what the circumstances are around us. Even in our sorrows and our suffering and our shame, we can rejoice in Jesus Christ. For to live is Christ and to die is gain, Lord. Help us to have a proper perspective. And I mean us, Lord. I need it all the time. Help remind us, Lord, it's not about us. It's about you and it's about what you want to do in people. And not only in us, but in us to affect others and to reach others. So, Lord, have your way in us. I pray uh, a blessing over everyone as they go home. Grace and peace, I pray upon them. May they have your, your undeserved mercy, your undeserved blessing, and the wholeness of Jesus Christ. May you continue to just uh, strengthen us, spirit, soul, and body in wholeness and push out all the separation that we are so uh, that that affects us lord pray for a wholeness of unity